Geek Therapy is a Humble partner, and you can help support us by subscribing to Humble Monthly, where you can get over $100 in games for just $12 a month. For more details, visit geektherapy.com slash humblemonthly. Welcome to Headshots, the psychology and gaming podcast on the Geek Therapy Podcast Network. My name is Josue Cardona with Kelly Dunlap. Kelly, you know, when you have a psychology and gaming podcast, sometimes you choose the topics, sometimes the topics are chosen for you, aren't they? They are. And there really isn't (laughs) anything we could have talked about this week other than the, I don't want to say a bombshell announcement because I feel like that's overselling it and I don't want to give it that kind of credence, but the... The coming to light that the World Health Organization has a proposed disorder has a proposed diagnosis for gaming disorder to be included in the ICD-11, which is basically so. In other words, the world's largest health organization is proposing to ha- add gaming disorder to the the diagnostic manual that the world uses. And now I've seen this a lot on different news outlets and the way it's been reported has been interesting. We can talk about that. But I, I do want to put this in a particular context, which is that the people, people, some people are freaking out. There's a lot of response to it. But did this happen in, tw- in 2013 when the American Psychiatric Association added to the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual version 5 internet gaming disorder as a uh, disorder to be considered? I think it's a little bit different Okay. Uh, because being put under to be considered acknowledges that this is something that we want to keep an eye on, but it, we're not recognizing it right now. Whereas what the World Health Organization has done, it is it is proposed, but it's proposed to be an actual disorder, not one that, quote unquote, needs further research. So I think there is a, a little bit higher level of a freak out this time. And I think the difference is also, you know, the DSM is is pretty much America and I think some Canada, too, maybe. But it's much smaller and much more localized, whereas the what the World Health Organization puts out, the, the ICD, is is a global thing. So, you know. And it's not, whereas the DSM is used mostly by just psychologists, the ICD is used by physicians and psychologists and pretty much anybody in the medical field in almost any area. So it has a much wider reach, both in terms of who it could affect as uh, participants and who it could affect as professionals. And I don't know if you have an an answer for this, but uh, I, I have a better understanding of who the authors are of the DSM. And and I'm I'm not clear on who the authors are of the the ICD, right? Who at the World Health Organization is making the decisions for the behavior diagnoses, right, or mental health diagnoses? That's so funny because I spent a good chunk after this story kind of broke trying to find out that answer. Okay, good. I, <laughs> yeah, I, I remember when when this came up with the DSM-5, I actually um, did some good dig- digging research on, they wanted to include, uh, I think it's gender dysmorphic disorder or, or something like that. And, but basically it was, even though it sounded like a good thing for um, like non-binary, it, it really wasn't. And it was actually written by somebody who has like 30 years of saying that gay people aren't people. Yeah. And so like that was really powerful to speak out against that particular diagnosis because the person who's writing the criteria obviously doesn't see people who are struggling with gender identity or any of those kinds of like identity issues as actual people deserving help. And so I looked really hard to try and find who 
like who is writing this? Who is proposing this? Who thinks that it's okay to just change the word substance abuse and slap in the word video game? And I, I have not been able to find anything, which okay. is really unsettling. Yeah, me neither. Because the the politics and, and the history behind the DSM is very, very disturbing, right? And how those decisions come to be and how something ends up either in the book or on the cutting room floor is 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 unsettling, right? There's this book uh, that I really like called The Book of Woe. And it's about like the the behind the scenes politics of putting the DSM together. And and so I imagine that any diagnostic uh, criteria goes through kind of a similar thing, right? Where, where you have experts in the field coming together, but you know, who are those experts representing? What are they experts in? I don't know. Like, like I think about um, we we've seen quotes repeatedly now from Chris Ferguson and Andrew Shabilsky, and I'm like, well, why why didn't nobody call them to to like be <laughs> on on that panel uh, deciding these things if they if they're the the go to people when these issues come up? You know, I mean, this reminds me almost identically. Um, but at a much larger scale of the 2015 APA uh, task force on violent game media, where they had, I think it was seven, seven people who basically did this huge amount of analysis. And, and we've talked about this on a, a different episode of, of our sister podcast, Psych Tech. But basically, they said they confirmed the link between violent video game consumption and violent behaviors. And first of all, they didn't. Like, if you actually read the report, in no way does it actually confirm anything. And there's there's problems with the methodology, um, which I, I won't get into necessarily. At the same time, uh, of the seven people on that panel, four I think four or five of them already had published interests in games being dangerous. Like two of them were even involved in the Supreme Court case uh, against the ESA uh, in Cal- uh, the Schwarzenegger versus. I think it was ESA, um, the, the huge Supreme Court case that said that video games are protected under uh, under uh, First Amendment rights. So you have this vested interest in uh, one side of the argument, and then the other side is not represented at all. And to me, that's very unscientific, um, especially when the people who are being left out or not being brought to the table are the people who actually study this. You mentioned Ferguson, you mentioned Shabilsky. You know, those are two who are, if I was to name the top two people studying you know, games or even uh, screen entertainment media and mental health, like those are the two guys that that you would automatically think of and that you would want at the table. And so the fact that there doesn't seem to be that kind of transparency definitely raises um, some concerns, at least, at least for me. And it, it does make you wonder, like, what, what, where is this coming from? Like what? And I, I have some ideas, but we'll, we'll dive into that in just a second. Yeah, I mean, it reminds me of uh, every now and then I'll go to a convention or something and somebody's like, oh, yeah, like uh, I combine mental health and geek culture. I'm like, what? why haven't we talked? Like, why, why didn't you, why don't you like write me a letter? Why, why don't, <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that Shabilsky and Ferguson must feel that way, right? We're like, this is all that they talk about. This is all that they do. <laughs> and suddenly they're getting quotes. Um, They're asking, they're being asked for quotes by newspapers instead of the people making these decisions. Yeah, that's, funny. to me, there would be a lot more credibility if you had those kinds of voices at the table. Yeah. So yeah. I'm not even against having you know people who have invested or published history of being on one side. But if you're going to do that, because and again, we, we know you can't be totally unbiased, like your biases will affect how you perceive things. That's just the human way. But you can do things to counteract bias by, you know, inviting 
say, somebody who has a different opinion so that you guys can actually come to some kind of agreement. Um, and if there's not agreement, you know, that's kind of the foundation of science is that if something's not agreed upon, you keep working on it until you can find more evidence. And I think that's one of the reasons this rubs me uh, so raw. And it was the same thing with the APA in 2015. And when they did the DSM, like you said, back in 2013, is that there is no consensus. The The literature around gaming, you can find a, a, a research paper that will say anything about gaming, good or bad. And that's just because it's, it's relatively a young field. There hasn't been a lot of actual good literature done. And, and part of that is because of the stigma that comes across with gaming. Uh, I don't I don't think well tell me if you had the similar experience this way, but when I was going through my my psychologist training through my courses, I pushed got a lot of pushback from professors, from supervisors, saying you're basically telling me if you study video games, no one is gonna take you seriously and your career will be over. So call it, you know, digital content or something else, but don't say the word gaming because that's a dirty word. And so that has a huge impact on the kind of research that we even can do. Um, so even though there are like 30 years of research into games and mental health, a lot of it is is not good. And a lot of it is just very, you know, exploratory done by students who are trying to graduate and have no support from their advisors or from uh, the, the community. And the, this interest in really looking at games as a serious medium is, I mean, I would say in the last not not even 10 years of research, at least on the psychological side of things. I mean, I've heard that from many people. And I... I will add that the that I think that what the the conversation that we're having we're having it because we we know about gaming right this is our wheelhouse this is our our experience this is a a big part of our lives and I know that there are tons of issues with other diagnostic criteria and that that are probably very similar to the conversations we're having now and they've happened throughout history and they continue to happen and so I think that that a lot of the problems that we're going to discuss are just part of of the mental health world and and that's unfortunate but that's a whole other conversation so let's get into these diagnoses okay so I actually and you, anybody listening you can actually go look at the diagnoses yourself uh, you also can go... this is these are this is the beta draft of the ICD eleven yes. right so we currently have the ICD ten and when we when we're when we started talking about the DSM which is the American Psychiatric Association's uh, diagnostic uh, and statistical manual that is at version five the last one was published in 2013 and so we've had that to be considered thing for for years and and sure I mean they 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 have different schedules the ICD and the the DSM but in for many uh, insurance purposes the the uh, codes from the ICD and the DSM are interchangeable. I don't know how, how big of a part of the conversation that is that, that you know what people are thinking, but uh, these these are the things that we use or that therapists use, um, or all clinicians to be able to code like you like you mentioned any type of medical uh, condition. So you can go check out the ICD-11 beta draft. It's at icd.who.int. Uh, for, and then there's a bunch of stuff afterwards. But if if you Google gaming disorder ICD-11, uh, you'll be able to find it. So the, the way that they describe it, so this is the criteria, um, as it were, right now for the for the draft, is a pattern of con- persistent or recurrent gaming behavior. Um, so which they call digital or video gaming, uh, which can be online or offline. Uh, which that right away makes it different from the DSM version for internet gaming disorder. And one of the reasons that I, uh, internet gaming disorder was kind of laughed off the block um, is because it only focused on internet gaming 
or like it had to be online. And apparently nobody told the people drafting that, that you can play video games offline. And you internet know? gaming sounds like like something your great, great grandfather would say. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so I mean, at least at least props to them for realizing that video games can be played both on and offline, I guess. Uh, impaired control over gaming. So such as um, when you game, how much you game, how intensely you game, how long. Termination, I think what they mean by stopping gaming. Uh, so an inability to stop playing. And context, which I don't even know what that refers to. So impaired control over gaming context. I, do you have any idea what that means? I don't. I mean, I could, I could come up with like. I mean, I, mean, I know. I, I don't know for sure, but I mean, I know what all those I'm very words creative. mean. <laughs> I know what all those words mean separately, but I don't really know how they go together. So okay. I mean, but I think it's like it's like you're 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 like gaming at work, for example, or something like that. You know, like while driving, maybe. <laughs> Right, like that's context. <laughs> okay, okay, I'll 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 take that under advisement. Yeah. Um, uh, so the second criteria being increased priority given to gaming to the extent that gaming takes precedence over other life interests and daily activities. Now that one really really bothers me because if you're giving priority, if, if, imagine seeing a client and one of the complaints from say their parent, let's say you're seeing an adolescent, is that they would rather play video games than do their homework. That is a totally normal thing. Like, I would rather play video games than go shovel my driveway, you know. But that, I mean, boom, I already meet one criteria for gaming disorder. And I don't even play that often anymore. So that, I mean, that that's just an example of why this this particular set of diagnoses uh, criteria makes me a little queasy. Uh, three, continuation or escalation of gaming despite the occurrence of negative consequences. So the behavior pattern is of sufficient severity to result in significant impairment to personal, family, social, educational, and all the normal impairment stuff. So basically, you keep playing. You don't even have to escalate playing. It's this continuation or escalation. So you keep playing despite negative consequences. So if you keep playing video game, if you fail a math test because you were playing too many video games, and then you keep playing video games after you fail that math test, that would meet that criteria. I mean, in, in theory, so, or or you you play while you're driving, you have a car accident, and then you get in another car, and then you keep playing while you're driving and have another car accident because context. Yes. So that is, Josue is living in the dark uh, black mirror world, <laughs> going to the extremes <laughs> of what terrible things could happen. Um, I mean, the, the important thing to me is that the behavior is enough to cause an impairment in important parts of daily life, um, and that... It happens continuously. There, at least, there is a twelve-month uh, period that this has to be going on mm-hmm. for it to be considered a disorder. So, I guess that that is a positive. But that's like that's it. That's all it takes to be diagnosed with gaming disorder under this this new umbrella. And you know, it, I, I meet two of them, <laughs> so I wonder if I should be concerned here. Uh, and I, I obviously qualify for twelve months because I've been playing all of my life. And the only thing I guess I, that would be my escape is I don't have impaired control over my gaming. I don't. I don't text. I, I don't play games in the car. At least not while I'm driving, uh, as, as Josue's example. And the issue with that one there is, it, it doesn't say what impaired control means or how often the impairment has to happen. I mean, it it, it is so vague that you could pretty much slap this onto. Any person, especially people who are more vulnerable, like children and and adolescents, I I bet you could justify a way to to put this diagnosis on almost anybody who plays video games at least some point in their life. 
Yes, but like, what is the purpose of a diagnosis? I'm glad you asked. Right. So <laughs> that, that was kind of the second part that I wanted to, to talk about as well is the – obviously, I am think this is ridiculous. Um, but that aside, the other argument is, one, there are people who have problematic gaming behaviors. And I'm not denying that at all. There are some people who have who have difficulty when it comes to regulating how much they play video games and the intensity and things like that. So the idea is that this diagnosis would be able to help people. Uh, I got into a big Facebook argument <laughs> over this, and the person who was arguing with me is in the medical field. Uh, he just got his nursing degree, so good good job. Um, and I mean that also is just like, we need more nurses. But that, oh, well, now that it has a, a, a number associated with it, you know, GD11 gaming disorder, you know, people can get help and get reimbursed for it. And that's a really that's a really wonderful idea. The idea that you could just, you know, now that there's a name for it, you can get help and we can support people and we can uh, identify the people who are struggling. And now that it has a name, we can go forward and, and help them. And I think that is a very wonderful view of the world. I don't think it's an accurate one. <laughs> I don't think uh, that reflects reality. Because uh, you know, one thing that I, I told the guy I was arguing with is, if you think that having a diagnostic code means insurance will pay for something, you are living in a dream world, or rather, you are living in the medical world. Because as everybody here who has ever worked in a mental health uh, setting knows, just because it has a diagnostic code does not mean that insurance will pay for it. A lot of issues have come from you know insurance not paying for certain things. I had an insurance company that wouldn't pay for PTSD, so. Again, I, I think it's well intentioned, but I, I think it has the, I think the potential for harm is so much greater than the potential for help. I definitely think that the mental health field, especially in the United States and the way that things are covered, that's absolutely true, right? What you're saying, you know, I don't see insurance companies uh, liking this, and they won't play along if they don't, if they don't want to, right? That's just mm-hmm. going to be. It, but also, like when somebody comes to me, when a parent comes to me and says, hey, my kid plays too many video games, up until when still, I can't say, yeah, your kid has a disorder, but I also can't say he doesn't have a disorder because there is no no disorder, right? Um, like that conversation, that specific conversation regarding that, uh, like th- there is no answer. And this criteria is some criteria. The the issues that, that are... Oh, a part of of mental health in in general are apply to many many different things and different people can diagnose different things differently i mean it's a problem but the fact that some people could get help if they need it because there is some sort of code i agree with that 100% but i also agree with you that i mean that's not the way the world works and also i i get the feeling that a lot of the people who are arguing this they don't one they haven't worked in mental health or they haven't they don't they don't know how how the world works right cuz if anyone comes in and you want to right and that's the problem that they're coming in with there's maybe right maybe someone who is unfamiliar with gaming is like oh yeah well you meet all the criteria for gaming disorder let's let's get to work and along the way like it's not like oh well we're going to put you on the gaming disorder program and then that's it and then it's taken care of like mental health is way uh sloppier than that <laughs> I was going to say trickier, but sloppy, I guess, is... Yeah, yeah. Like, it's not not like, oh, you know, we got this great treatment plan. We're going to go... Like, all of that changes. And along the way, I think it was Ferguson or Shabilsky, one of the the other, (laughs) that was saying how, you know, like, 
maybe some of the things, maybe some of these uh, criteria are uh, symptoms of other things, right? And that's absolutely possible. And and that we see that in mental health all the time. You come in, you have all these symptoms, you get one diagnosis on day one, and then your diagnosis changes over time. And people are going to work with you. Um, one example I brought up uh, recently is that a lot of clinicians they bring you in the door. They're going to slap generalized anxiety disorder on your profile. They're going to send that to the insurance company, get reimbursed, and then they'll work with you with whatever whatever it is that you need, whether it's anxiety or not. Um, because I think a lot of people just want to help, right? Mm-hmm. And and maybe and and I do want to get into the potential harm, but I I always feel like this is coming from a place of where people do want to help and. I don't see too many people coming in to a mental health office saying that they like I play too many video games. Right. I don't see that happening. I think it's going to be like like with a lot of mental health um, issues. If there are parents that bring their kids in because, you know, there's some sort of problem, I can see schools recommending uh, kids for for a diagnosis. But uh, a lot of adults who who are the majority of of, uh, like gamers who spend money on that kind of thing and probably uh, have issues that are that are more that would probably fall more under clinical, right? After a while, they, I, I don't, I don't see that many coming in. So I have, I have very mixed feelings about this. I don't see, we haven't gotten into the fact that this is, that this is listed under addictive behaviors. That's, that's one part I have an issue with, but the idea of a, Hey, maybe you have an issue, um, controlling yourself around, uh, video games, uh, come in and let's have a conversation about it. I think overall could be a good thing. And I, I do want to say I'm not categorically against a gaming disorder per se, but I feel like the way that it is presented here is incredibly problematic. That's, that's a good point, right? Like we agree that, yeah, th- there could be a disorder. A disorder is not a bad thing to, to have. Like, like, like it'll, it'll make things easier for people to talk about the same thing and we can, it'll, it, right. it may even improve research. Uh, but and yeah. And treatment. I, and treatment, Yeah. I agree. Listing it under addictive behaviors is problematic. And then, and yeah, this is, so when we say vague, like Kelly read the whole thing. It's just one paragraph. That's it. When, <laughs> even in the DSM, internet gaming disorder is way more fleshed out. Yeah. It's, it's very surprising. But I, also, I'm not as familiar with the ICD. So I don't know if every diagnosis just looks like this in the ICD. I didn't look around. I only looked at gaming disorder and, and hazardous gaming. That's the other thing I want to get to. You just like hit on all the things I've been chomping at the bit to talk about. So <laughs> I'm really I'm really excited about that. Um, I mean, from, again, this is a beta. It's a draft. This may not be everything. But I mean, to me, and maybe it's my gaming background, but if something is in a beta, I'm going to assume that the, the finished project is going to look a lot like the beta. Um, that's why it's called a beta and not an alpha or, you know, anything like that. This this puppy could have uh, microtransactions already going. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So to c- take a couple steps back, Josue hit on some really, really important points and that are really core to my revulsion, I guess, at, at this, uh, at the GD11 gaming disorder is one, like you said, it is listed under uh, disorders due to substance use or addictive behaviors. To me, that's a huge red flag. Uh, I am, I am, I, I guess, a uh, addictive purist in that I was trained and believe strongly that addiction is a neurochemical uh, thing that occurs when you ingest neurochemicals like drugs or alcohol, like uh, substances. So 
gambling is a weird one, and I'm not even going to try and argue with that one right now, but basically this idea that you have put gaming disorder under the header of addiction, which is something that is already a huge stigma against people who play games. And so I, I take exception with it being placed in that um, in that spot. I think that is one of the things that is going to be most harmful, and we've already seen it have that effect because everybody and their mother is seeing articles that are headlined video game addiction is real and i'm like okay first of all no it's not real because for one this is a beta draft and it doesn't exist yet it is it is suggested to exist but it has not been born or anything and two it's not an addiction it's a disorder and this is one of the things that i got into with the guy i was arguing about is people um outside of the mental health space or the medical space in general, tend to throw around words like addiction as if and disorder as if they mean the same thing. And I, I mean, anytime someone says, you know, oh, I'm so addicted to X, or I'm I'm so OCD, or I'm super depressed, like, no, stop, stop using clinical words that you you don't understand the, the power of, especially if you are in a place of uh, of power. Like if you have a platform to write an article that a million people are going to see and you see that addiction is gaming addiction is real. I mean, that that is harmful because people's understanding of addiction, they they picture heroin, you know, or, or you know, getting blackout drunk with alcohol. And it's it, it's problematic the way where it is. And leading into that is they pretty much took the description for substance abuse and just swapped in the word video game or digital gaming. Again, that's problematic because if you if you do that, then you could do that with anything. You could have like soccer disorder or reading disorder, not not like dyslexia, but like actually like you read too much. You you have a persistent and recurrent reading behavior that uh, that impairs your control over your reading and increases priority given to reading to the extent that ga- that reading takes precedence over other life interests. Like it just it sounds so absurd in in that sense. So those are two huge issues I have with um, in addition to to it being vague. And th- um, th- that's why I. I would be much more comfortable with it being just as ridiculous, but encompassing all of media and all of entertainment and all of everything, right? Like general addiction disorder. That's not what the name would be. But, you know, that idea that, yeah, like I, I can't control myself. I, I can't uh, stop myself from watching Netflix, you know, yeah, like that type that, of thing. Yeah. And that, I mean, to me, that's much more uh, like obsessive compulsive. It could be one part of it. Um Impulse regulation, like there are already disorders that are in and recognized and researched that could give credence um, that that you could support somebody going through this. So, for example, if someone came in and they had, and this happens all the time in with professionals who do treat people who come in for, um, you know, I'm having problems gaming because that does happen. If you ask those providers, they don't do. AA. They don't do the 12-step program. You don't use the substance abuse treatment manual. What you do is you you actually take a much more, um, depending on how they're using the games, you take a much more um, approach similar to treating somebody with obsessive compulsive disorder or treating someone with emotion, emotion regulation disorders or somebody with impulse control disorders. Like Those are the kind of treatments that actually can help somebody who's struggling with, with regulating themselves like that. So again, the, the fact that the treatments that are effective, that are out there, are in a completely different category than what the diagnosis is saying, to me, is, is another problem because the diagnosis is supposed to guide treatment like that's one of the key 
benefits of having a diagnosis is, you okay, you have X, so I know how to treat X. Like everything you just mentioned assumes a compulsive behavior. But what if it's an avoidant behavior? Then exactly. you would have like some sort of, you know, like counseling would you look at your whole life and see what's going on and you would tackle different areas, not necessarily the gaming. I mean, I can only speak from my experience and the experience of my colleagues. I, I don't mean this as a, as a coverall, but I would say in 99.9% of the cases where somebody has had issues related to gaming, the gaming has always been a symptom, never the root cause. And again, I, I, I hate making blanket statements like that. And I will totally own up that this is my own experience. Um, but like, yeah, someone would engage in way too much playing. You know, they would they would binge play. They would not go to school. They would, you know, whatever those kind of behaviors would be and th- that would meet this criteria, certainly. But you know, once you get past the fact that they're playing, you find out why they're playing. Like, wh- what is driving this behavior? It's not that, you know, a Xbox hooks into your arm and pumps you full of drugs that you are now linked to that Xbox. It is, you. I would say, vastly, 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 usually, because, like you said, it's an avoidant behavior. Or it's the only way that they can connect with friends. Mm-hmm. Or it is the only way that they can feel excitement because their job sucks. And this is the only place where they can have some kind of fulfillment. Or... So yeah, that's I'm going to stop myself right there cuz I could I could keep going. I could keep going and going. <laughs> so I do want to address hazardous gaming, which is the other diagnosis that they included. But first, let's take a quick break. Hey Kelly, Geek Therapy is a Humble partner and Humble has a monthly subscription called Humble Monthly. This month's pack includes Civ 6 and two DLC packs and the free more games for just $12. Uh have you ever you ever played Civ games? I have never played the Civ games. They are not my jam. However, however, my adoring husband has been playing Civ 6 and we might want to check him for gaming disorder because I've woken up at like 2 a.m. and he's been there in bed on his iPad playing Civ 6. Oh no, what are you doing? No, no, we can't do that. We can't just throw around gaming disorder like that. That's, that's exactly what we're talking about. Hey, hey, I'm a clinician. It's my word and I'm reclaiming it. So... <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I don't know how I feel about this, but uh, if you too want to get Civ 6... If you too want to play Civ 6 up until 2 a.m. in Kelly's bed while she's trying to sleep, check out the Humble Bundle. I know for a fact that that last part is not included. So if you want to get Civ 6 and two DLC packs and more games for just $12 this month, join Humble Monthly, where you can get over $100 in games every month for only $12. You can help support Geek Therapy by going to geektherapy.com slash humblemonthly to subscribe. A percentage of all Humble sales also go to charity. Again, to get your deal and support Geek Therapy in the process, go to geektherapy.com slash humblemonthly. Uh, I, I saw a Kotaku article that was about how parents of pro gamers were stop, were trying to stop their 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 kids from playing because they thought that they were playing too much, and how they came around to admit like, oh yeah, like he's really good at this. He's a champion now. My kid makes more money than I do. Yeah. Um, you know, just the perspective of it, and and. Those parents didn't think that their kids could play video games like their kids could maybe play basketball or baseball or soccer, you know, and and the news surrounding something like this has that type of effect, you know, and that's something that we I still think it's gotten way, way, way better, you know, over time, especially because more and more parents uh, play games, you know, and schools have gaming clubs and we are seeing uh pro um you know pro gaming on espn whether it be two or three or you know and online and and, and twitch is a thing like there's and universities are way better than they used to be. 
Yeah, there's scholarships. Like you, you, can get a, yeah. you can get full ride scholarships for playing something like League of Legends. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so I, I think that that's a, a great <laughs> like uh, article to just like interject into the conversation to just show like look like the bias uh, that that a person has when looking at this is such a big part of the conversation that that it, it cannot be ignored. So, yeah. so let me read you the. The hazardous gaming diagnosis. Please, please. And I, I would like to point out that hazardous gaming is listed under problems associated with health behaviors yep. and then hazardous substance use. Yep. So this is code QF02. Hazardous gaming refers to a pattern of gaming either online or offline that appreciably increases the risk of harmful physical or mental health consequences to the individual or to others around this individual. This increased risk may be from the frequency of gaming, from the amount of time spent on these activities, from the neglect of other activities and priorities, from risky behaviors associated with gaming or its context, from the adverse consequences of gaming, or from the combination of these. Pattern of gaming is often persists. There's a typo in this thing. It's a beta. Often persists in spite of awareness of increased risk of harm to the individual or to others. And that's it. That's the whole diagnostic criteria for hazardous gaming. Uh, like, so one, if if there was going to be a diagnosis, if I had to choose between this one and the other one, I would choose hazardous gaming. I feel like it is the lesser of two evils. Also because it's not under addiction. I mean, it is under hazardous substance use, um, but substance seems to be really broad because it includes lack of physical exercise as well and hygiene behaviors, oral health behaviors. So I, I feel better. Um better with where it is. I think it's in a much more appropriate place. So I would choose hazardous gaming. That said, <laughs> like these criteria are huge. So the increased risks may, may be from, so it doesn't even have to be from, but might be from, for example, risky behaviors associated with gaming or its context. Is, is meeting a friend who you met online in person, is that considered a risky behavior associated with gaming or its context? Especially if you're meeting in a shady part of town. Yeah, if a lot of parents are like, "Oh, you're going to meet somebody from the internet." I'm sorry, I shouldn't I shouldn't be ageist. You know, people who are not into the game culture get freaked out. I mean, some of my best friends I have met online and then gone and met them in person. Didn't you marry one of them? I, I knew him first. Okay. <laughs> um, I didn't I didn't meet him online, but like I went to a friend's wedding in Arizona and I met both of them because we were playing Halo together and, yeah. I, and that's like that to me sticks out and I feel like once again it really reflects that the people whoever is writing this doesn't get it like they don't get what games are or the people who play them or why people play them so so the icd tries to just code everything right it's it's meant to be helpful and i think uh, when i was looking for for gaming i found under object slash substance producing injury code xe9dy which is board game or accessory piece Ooh, it just goes that? to show that they're just trying to put codes on everything and make it easier for everybody to talk about the things that are happening. And so the whole world has a, a, a common language. And that's why I, I know that the DSM is used in, in other countries. Um, I, know, I, th- I know that France has one. I forgot the name of it now, which is pretty well respected. But the DSM, like, you know, like a lot of places use it. And and like I said, um, when the DSM-5 was coming out, people were like, well, you know, if you don't want to use the DSM-5, you can use the ICD-10. They're interchangeable for, for insurance purposes. So I, there's definitely not a lot of 
work I feel put into <laughs> into, into these uh, two criteria for hazardous gaming and and gaming disorder, and I really wish I knew kind of the this is this is one of my points that that, that I've been trying to make uh, since since all this came out is that we don't have a, a diagnosis and this is not I don't think this is a good one I think that something like this has to happen once this comes out of beta and it exists in the world there's there's a pendulum that'll swing back and forth mm-hmm. and we'll finally be able to have something workable and have a lot of people comment more on it, right, than the people who just made it. And I think that this period here uh, where for the last maybe three weeks, I think, you know, people have been commenting on it and, and talking about it. I think it's helpful. I think it will have zero effect on the actual publication. Like you said, it's in beta. I don't think it's going to change very much because where it needs to get to is so far. <laughs> At least it is a start. And and I feel I don't I'm, I'm not a fan of this stuff. But I am curious about what potential good it can do as long as we continue to talk about the potential harm, because the harm isn't going to be necessarily and, and correct me if I'm wrong, right? But the, the or if you disagree, but the, but the potential harm isn't necessarily in the mental health space or the treatment space. It's going to be, you know, in the in the public perception of a potential disorder. And now we have this issue with so many different disorders, right? Like, oh, I'm depressed. Oh, I'm, I'm anxious. So oh, I'm, like you said, I'm OCD. Oh, I'm addicted to everything, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's just a bigger problem with mental health in general. I don't know, maybe, maybe in mental health, our, our disorders are too easy to pronounce. We need, if, if we were more like uh, medical doctors, people wouldn't go around, you know, saying, <laughs> people don't say, go around saying, people say like, oh, my, my knee hurts. You don't go around saying like the proper, proper medical term. I think we need my to go into just like crazy. My is inflamed. Yeah, that's, that's like, that's nothing. That's not the real name. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the patella is the top part of your knee. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. But the inflammation oh. of the patella probably has some crazy Latin name. Oh. You know, that's oh, really yeah. long. Check it has it like out. 30 letters. I'm guessing. <laughs> so maybe if we called it like uh, chronic, uh, I can't even, I can't. <laughs> chronic digital engagement dopaminitis. We need more Latin in there. We need more Latin. Um. Troia est in Asia, Troiae poinciae in Asia sunt. Because that's that's straight up Latin. See, we're not we're not good at this. This is this is part of the problem. <laughs> I took four years of Latin, and if we want to call it Troyes in Asia, then we can call it Troia est in Asia. I like that. that I like that. Sounds that. like a thing. Yeah, that I, sounds way better. Yeah. Now we're talking. Yeah, Troia like, est in Asia. Yeah, is like, what I have. Like you, you come home and you're like, oh, mom, I got something to tell you. I've been diagnosed with Troia est in Asia. No. Yeah. Yep. Like yep. They used to call it gaming disorder, but now, now we now we <laughs> now take it seriously. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so one last thing that I do want to touch on, um, like you said, the the I think the biggest negative impact would be societally. Uh, I know when people it's like, oh, people are so addicted to games. Games are so addictive. You know, at least now I can go, or in the past I've been going. Actually, no, because you know X, Y, and Z, and this makes my life a lot harder. Um, but I read this really great quote in one of the many many articles I read, and it really kind of captures my fundamental feelings, like not, not, not even, I guess, clinical feelings as well as like human feelings, lots of feelings here. Um, and the quote is, while I believe that all mental health issues should receive focus, I do not feel that one or two areas of compulsion should receive their own article unless they are unique enough that it would not fit in a description with another, uh, with other common compulsions. Singling out games feels topical rather than necessary. And I just like, that, that sums up so eloquently how, I feel. 
Yeah. I mean, and, and in, in real practice, I, I welcome a parent coming to me and telling me, hey, my kid plays too many video games. And at this point, they've, they've, like, they've registered, they signed up, they did a, they're, they're going through an intake process, and they're telling me about a whole, other, uh, a whole lot of other stuff that isn't necessarily just the gaming. But if this disorder will get them in the door, then we can actually start talking about the bullying at school, the domestic violence, the a possible medical condition. There's all of these other things. And if that's the the warning sign for certain parents that'll bring them in the door, in the end, I think I think that clinically there there's a lot of good to be had because that diagnosis, I wouldn't me personally, I probably wouldn't end up giving this diagnosis barely ever, right? Because it would be I feel it would be very rare. If it gets people in the door and we can help with some sort of behavioral inter- interventions, whether it be um, full-blown clinical treatment or uh, some social work assistance, some behavioral uh, help, I think it'll be good. And and again, this diagnosis will will change. It has to change. <laughs> it has to change. It's garbage. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty terrible. Uh, yeah. And again, as always, the the foil to to Josue. To me, the the big thing is yes, a, a wonderful, competent clinician like you would know exactly how, what to do with this. Unfortunately, uh, research has even shown that the vast majority of mental health professionals are not game savvy. Like it, it to me is a huge, huge issue with cultural competency, um, where clinicians are being asked to treat people who are struggling with games, whether they're a symptom or the core issue, but they have no idea what they're getting into. And whereas, like, you know, for example, if you had someone coming in from, uh, let's say, a Buddhist culture, and that's very important to them, and the, the problem they're having is re- resolving within that culture, and you're not familiar with it, the ethical thing to do is to refer them to someone who is. And since games aren't seen as that way, um, at least not by the psychological community as a whole, what, what you would do would be the ideal. I also think it would be the exception. That we could replace gaming with a whole bunch of other stuff and, and the same would apply, unfortunately. Yep. So do better. Do better psychology. That's a whole other <laughs> podcast. I once wanted to start a, a, another podcast. It was called WTF Mental Health. Uh, no, no. Josue wanted to start another podcast. I think you have podcast addiction. I have podcast disorder. <laughs> We just file under podcast addiction. And, ha- and the criteria is you listen to more podcasts than you can remember the names of. I may and actually you- be at hazardous podcasting <laughs> disorder territory. Um, but I did once want to start a podcast just to address uh, all of the WTF moments uh, that we that we hear about and see um, on a regular basis in, in mental health treatment, at least in the United States. Ooh, man. Yeah. Oh, that sounds like an awesome new uh, new show for the Geek Therapy Network. Maybe. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> Speaking of the Geek Therapy Network, Headshots is one of the lovely podcasts on the Geek Therapy Podcast Network. You can find more information about Headshots at headshotspodcast.com, at headshotscast on Twitter. And if you like what you're hearing and you want to support us, which you totally should, you should donate to the Patreon because not only does that help us and the Geek Therapy Network, but then you get to be part of our exclusive book club, which is actually a gaming club. This month it is. (laughs) We're playing Oxen Free this month. It is very cool. It has, guess what? Extra podcast related to to the book (laughs) to follow along. It's fantastic. Can I I just say, can I just say that I was really disappointed at no point in that game did someone go Ollie Ollie? Hey, 
it was it was just too obvious. You couldn't you couldn't couldn't go there. You couldn't uh, do it. Spoiler. <laughs> Are you done with the game? Oh yeah. We're oh, only yeah. halfway through the month. You're cheating. What? No, I'm, for once in my life, I'm not procrastinating. <laughs> I should be rewarded for this behavior. I shouldn't be punished for it. <laughs> yeah, so that's at patreon.com slash geektherapy. And also check out our Twitch streams at twitch.tv slash geektherapy, where we play at least once a week. And you have uh, other psychology and mental health professionals playing games and in the chat, ready to answer questions and any, anything you want to talk about related to, to psychology and gaming. So I am Josue Cardona, at Josue A. Cardona on Twitter, with Kelly Dunlap, Kelly N. Dunlap on Twitter, and we'll be back in two weeks. Bye. You've just listened to Headshots on the Geek Therapy Podcast Network. For more about Geek Therapy and our other podcasts, visit geektherapy.com. And for extra content, including our monthly book club and other perks, consider supporting us for as little as $1 a month at our Patreon, which you can find at patreon.com slash geektherapy.